Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. This is not a negotiation. I'm running this team because the Reinsdorfs want me to, and I'm going to run it that I think is best. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. I think your play is embarrassing. The pro player thing, this is basketball. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media, on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pat, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Our players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. On Instagram, at Locked on Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop all your voicemails, all of your text messages. First real week of the offseason, so we want to hear from you. 331-979-1369. Just a little under a month till the NBA draft. How y'all feeling? We want to hear from you. So, Matt, welcome back from the weekend. Hope you enjoyed the first weekend of the NBA playoffs because uh, you know I did and yesterday's games I felt like weren't as good as Saturday's games but nonetheless every game that I watched outside of maybe the Bucks Pistons game was was entertaining basketball to say the least so it was kind of cool to see a couple teams uh, steal that game one but how you doing how was your weekend what's up Jordan what's up Bulls Nation happy Monday uh yeah I'm I'm right there with you I'm pretty sure I left my couch for a grand total of maybe a few trips to the bathroom this weekend <laughs> yeah right four NBA games Saturday and another four yesterday Masters action um you know uh, an epic Tiger Woods saga that unfolded yesterday uh and of course the season premiere, the final season premiere of Game of Thrones last night, which we don't have to get into. A little underwhelmed, but, uh, you know, it was a great way to cap off the weekend after two years of waiting. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how these first round series play out because clearly the Warriors probably had, uh, you know, outside of Milwaukee just stomping the, the Pistons had uh, the most convincing win, at least out in the Western Conference, and look like the the favorites to repeat, but a lot of interesting upsets uh, in, in round one. So hopefully we'll get some six or maybe even seven-game series out of these. Yeah, I hope so, too. You know, you look at the Orlando Magic and you look at the Brooklyn Nets, how well they played in their first game. So it's going to be interesting for some of the teams in the East, and uh, you wonder if Boston could continue to keep playing as well as they did and uh, unfortunately for the Pacers, without Victor Oladipo, you can see how much they miss him, and that series would be so much different with him in that game. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very curious and very surprised by the Orlando Magic, to say the, to say the very least. And the 76ers had their own problems, too, with uh, Joel Embiid and uh, Amir Johnson this weekend getting flamed for having a, a phone on the bench, but they're saying Amir Johnson's daughter was sick, so kind of understand it, but things are kind of unraveling in with the 76ers. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the playoffs too later in the episode, but uh, the one thing that I want to get to today is just talking a little bit about the Derrick Rose documentary that dropped on Stadium. 
called Poo. I don't know if any of you guys, if most of you who's listening to this episode by now have gotten a chance to watch the documentary. I hope you did. Uh, they had multiple times this weekend they had it playing and throughout this next week there's actually a schedule that will continue to replay on stadium so I don't know when that's going to go out for actual digital release whether they're going to put it on Netflix or iTunes or what have you but there's about four or five opportunities to watch it this week if you hadn't catched hadn't caught it an original release date uh, back on Thursday or this weekend but Matt I watched it twice um So I guess where I wanted to start with this is overall thoughts of the documentary as a whole and just kind of what your perception was going into it and uh, how you came out of it and what you felt about it coming out of it. And then we'll kind of kind of dive in deeper into the each segments of the documentary and some of the good things and some of the bad things. Yeah, it um, it, it's a really tricky thing to try and uh, express how I feel about that documentary and about. Um, of course, what goes hand in hand with this documentary airing and B.J. Armstrong doing that media tour last week. And of course, from everyone he talked to getting the same question about a potential Derrick Rose return to the Bulls. And, uh, you know, I've I've been clear about the fact that I think Derrick Rose coming back to the Bulls is a bad idea. Um, and, you know, the Rose, Rose stance have already come out. Um, in full force, and um, it's uh, it's possible to see both sides of this story. As far as the documentary goes, I was deeply moved by remembering just how much Derrick Rose meant, not just to me, but to sports fans all over this city and Bulls fans everywhere. I think it's not a stretch in any way to say that since Michael Jordan, Derrick Rose was the most beloved professional athlete representing a team from the city of Chicago. I think it is no stretch at all to say that. And I don't know when we will get another athlete that means more to this city than Derrick Rose did. I would also, I mean, I, I would also like to make clear that as much as I loved Derrick Rose, I fell in love with Derrick Rose from his rookie of the year campaign to being a second year all-star to being the third season MVP, the youngest MVP in league history. I am very aware and I don't take lightly the fact that when I give my opinions about what Derrick Rose means to me and a potential Derrick Rose return to Chicago and what that would mean, I am fully aware that as a white kid from the suburbs, Derrick Rose could never can never and will never mean as much to me as he does to a black kid from the south side of Chicago. I am fully aware of the difference of my fandom and how I feel about Derrick Rose versus somebody who saw him grow up from the same crime and drug-addled streets of the south side of the city that they likely also endured some part of. And those parts of the documentary learning more about the details of just how rough it was for Derek growing up. That definitely struck a chord. But as the the documentary progressed, it kind of reminded me about all of the different layers of who Derek was, who Derek became, his relationship with the media in this city, his relationship with the fans of this city, and how ugly that got. 
So I really enjoyed the Derrick Rose childhood part of the documentary, but as it moved forward, it got harder and harder to watch. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point with the the connection and kind of opens up what a lot of people I think tend to tend to kind of ignore uh, the come up of Derrick Rose and kind of where he grew up and. I think you hit it right on the head is for a lot of people, and especially me too, uh, it's hard to make that connection at first or understand how much he actually means to a lot of people in this city and why. Um, And I think this documentary, for the most part, did a really good job at the beginning to kind of help people understand that. And I mean, they could have spent hours on this, uh, hours on his background and the way he grew up and how difficult it was. So uh, if there was anything in this documentary that opened my eyes to a lot of different things of why so many people are backing him and why so many people were willing to fight with him when there was things that were going wrong with the Bulls and after his first or second injury and you see a lot of fans turn on him you understand why there were so many people that were backing him and uh, I just felt like from a perspective somebody that I didn't really understand seeing him do that and and having a documentary in which you kind of understand and you get just a little bit of a glimpse into what the life is for somebody coming up on the south side of Chicago and what it means to them to make it to the NBA and what it meant to that community uh, that he got not only picked by the Chicago Bulls his hometown but picked number one what it meant for somebody like that to to make it uh, so I felt like that part of the documentary was was fantastic and you know watching all those highlights too of him in high school and listening to some of the commentators I found it very it was it was very interesting when David Kaplan was shown very young David Kaplan uh, doing the high school game and he said he was going to be one of the most incredible players to ever come out of the city of Chicago, and I think he's not wrong about that. If you if you take away any of the injuries, the peak of his career, one of the greatest players to ever come out, and one of the most winningest players to come out of Chicago in his rise from high school uh, to college and then into the NBA. Um, so I think that opened my eyes a lot and gave me a different perspective than maybe I I had before. I the uh, the different takes from members of Chicago media who have been around since. As you said, you know, not only Cap doing a high school game of Derek's, but people who are, you know, sports talk radio, work for various, you know, media publications in this city and got to witness the the beginnings of Derek Rose, even talking about what the, the debate about once the Bulls got the number one pick, whether or not to take him, some of the details about the, the potential conflict that was, you know, uh, between not just Derek but his family and the fact that maybe his brother Reggie Rose and some of the details of his past at least for a moment put a little bit of a pause in the Bulls front office's confidence in their decision to take Derek Rose and all that kind of stuff all the way through how the media and how the fan base treated him as his career started to uh, unravel with, with the injuries. And that is something that to me... You know, it, it reminded me that people can change in people's opinions about situations, players, teams that they root for. Everything ebbs and flows and everything can change. Because as I was watching the documentary and talking about or, or and listening to various members of the media talk about the way that Derek went from being a guy who brought this city together, even across racial divides, to a guy who tore certain parts of the fan base apart and all of a sudden people were at each other's throats because they had a different opinion about this kid and it reminded me that when Derek was first going through 
the initial stages of the the challenging part of his career after the the, the first torn ACL that I was a very loud vocal Rose defender when people in this city started to turn on him when he want when they wanted him after he was medically cleared by the team for competitive play he's cleared to play he can play and the Bulls were facing the juggernaut heat you know in uh, in the playoffs and people wanted Derek to come back and there was constant updates on a daily basis on SportsCenter will Derek come back will he not come back and the Bulls from a PR perspective did not handle that well and neither did Derek in his camp but Bulls fans who thought that it was a wise decision to throw Derek Rose a rusty Rose who hadn't played the entire regular season back into a series that the Bulls, by all accounts, were probably going to lose anyway, I defended Derek through that. Because to me, it made no sense. Why throw a rusty guy in there who hasn't played competitively in a year into a series that your your team's going to lose anyway? So, by the time the Bulls did decide to trade Derek, I thought that at that time, we had reached the end. And it was it was the right thing for everybody to move forward. For the Bulls and for Derek to start a new chapter, but when the when the city started to turn on him, I was I was vocally supportive of Derek and thought that the media was and the fan base was way too hard on this kid. And fast forward to present day, here are all these Bulls fans saying, "Bring Derek home! Bring Derek home! He's exactly what we need. He's what this city needs. He's what this team needs." And I'm sitting here saying, "Guys, reality can change." situations change this is a terrible idea that was one of the other really interesting things about this documentary is it reminded me just how much people's opinions can change based on the given circumstances you even look at the the draft day remember the the quote in there in uh from Derek Rose and from even from Reggie Rose talking about the situation where he got a call the night before and said look, we want to draft you, but there's a question that we need to start asking. And it centered around Reggie Rose and his past and some of the people that surrounded him too. And uh, you can see how hard that struck Derek because he he took it personally because he was like, I'm the guy getting drafted in the NBA. Why does it matter the people that surround me or what they did in their past that shouldn't affect me from getting drafted? Which I thought spoke kind of volumes and he was frustrated about that too and ultimately Derek got drafted by the Bulls so that was a good thing um but that's some that's one of those storylines that we never heard about we never knew about uh the fact that the Bulls called him up less than 48 hours before the draft and started asking him some of these questions about his background and just making sure that they were making the right decision and you can see how how that kind of infuriated Derek and said, you know, like I'm the guy playing basketball. I'm the guy you're drafting. You're not drafting my family. You're not drafting Reggie. You're not drafting anybody else that's a part of my crew. So why does that really matter? And I can understand that from from a frustration point. If anybody has people that are attached to their family that have uh, difficult backgrounds and it may or may not cause you to uh, have a disruption with your opportunity. To me, I, th- I felt like that was on top of the, the catching Derek on film with the trade between the Knicks and the Bulls like that to me, I was like, holy crap. I was like, nobody even knew about that. Um, But those are the things that you think about. And those are the things that NBA teams think about every single day when they're going to draft kids. Yeah. I mean, a perfect modern example is thinking about the LeVar ball element of drafting Lonzo ball, you know, a little bit different as far as the, the specific details of what it means to draft, not just a player, but everything that comes along with that player. But 
you know, obviously it, uh, you know, it has an impact. I thought Joe Kim Noah was really good in this too. You know, I think out of any voice, you know, the media or pl- former players or his friends or coaches or whoever it was, I felt like Joe Kim Noah was really good in this. He had a really straight voice and was honest about some of those moments that he thinks back to. You know, he, we were even talking about the, the time where uh, he tore his ACL, he wanted to come back. Like, even Joe Kim Noah said, you know what, I think back about those times and I don't really like to think about myself that way because I was being selfish. I wanted Derek to come back for my own my own selfish needs as opposed to what's going on with him and is he really ready to come back from that injury? And I think that only adds to it is like, Players recognized his own teammates recognized the way that they acted during that time and said, you know what, maybe maybe I was being selfish about this. And nobody really asked Derek uh, how he was feeling or what he was doing or what was wrong with the actual person as opposed to just get him back on the floor. We need to win games. We need to win championships. And so, you know, it's not just fans and it wasn't just media members like the players, too, that were his own teammates were thinking some of these things, too, which I thought was very fascinating. It was very interesting to hear Noah and uh, how his perspective has changed now in 2019 as opposed to back then when that happened like five six years ago Uh, so I thought that was very good but he was he was just very very good in this documentary which um you know it it always makes my heart smile when I see Joakim um in any capacity um and you know he's he's a guy who's very open and honest when he's asked to be and that that was an interesting part of the doc because it was I think the first time that we really heard from Joakim that there were certain things about what happened in that Derrick Rose saga dealing with the injuries where where Joakim did say that some of what happened some of some of the things that Derrick Rose did and said bothered him because there was not a more vocal staunch defender of Derrick Rose throughout the entirety of that saga than his pal Joakim jo, you know Joakim was going on radio shows doing interviews telling everybody who was bashing Derek, you don't know what you're talking about, so you should shut the hell up. Like, that was the Joakim that we saw and heard from loudly as everybody was taking a hard stance either way on how they felt about Derek Rose and this kid who didn't talk a lot getting pulled in, in two different directions from by the media, by the fan base. And um, that, that was one of the more interesting parts uh, to me about the documentary is that for the first time, it seemed, at least publicly, Joe Keem admitted that he did have an issue with some of the things that Derek Rose, or, or at least took issue with the way that Rose handled that situation. And it just goes to show that maybe, as you said, Joakim was thinking about what he wanted and what the you know what he wanted the team to accomplish and knowing that they needed Derek to do that but still in that moment was never wavering in his support of Derek Rose it, it really brought a, another level um to what we know about those two guys and their relationship as as teammates and as friends I think the other thing you look at too when talking about this just the whole situation in general do you find it and maybe this is just me, but I find it very, very interesting that John Paxson was interviewed for this, but uh, Gar Foreman was not. And a lot of the clips that were played during that time, during his injury and during whether or not he was going to come back, a lot of those clips were Gar talking. So to me, 
if you're just asking my opinion, and this is in fact or anything, but to me it seems like the relationship was very much soured between Gar and Rose and his camp as opposed to it was with John Paxson. And you even, like, you go back to the, the quote about him wanting to walk at graduation, and even John Paxson said, you know, I think that was kind of overblown, but it was at a time where everybody was so tense about uh, the relationship he had with the Bulls and whether or not he was actually committed to doing this. And they talked about a lot that, of that. Even I think uh, Mark Silverman had said that, you know, is is Rose still the same guy that we drafted him or is he just a, a million dollar, a, a millionaire now? And people didn't really know because we didn't hear from him. But then you get the the, the story leaked about uh, him being medically cleared and the walking at graduation to that thing, I think, a lot of us misinterpreted what he was saying, and he said it in the wrong way, and going back and watching the documentary, you kind of understand what he was trying to say. He just didn't convey it right at that time, and I think he really did get killed for that, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was ridiculous when he said that at the time, but now looking back at it and hearing it from his side in this documentary, I kind of understand now. It's like, that's not what he was saying. I get what he was saying now and you see players he even says you see players nowadays resting themselves and wanting to take care of their bodies and thinking about what they're going to do after the sport um, it was just it was not said right and it was not conveyed the same way that he wanted to be conveyed and I think it was blown out of proportion the same way Paxson and a lot of the other people that spoke on that moment uh, felt and so to me to kind of reflect on back on that situation and how I felt and also how a lot of Bulls felt, fans felt when those statements were made I think it, it it makes sense and it's more clear now that we hear it from Rose's side and what he was really trying to say. Yeah I mean I think we did get a little bit more context and clarity after the fact and that was one of many examples which I think frustrated Bulls fans a lot Uh, and as someone who was back then when he was going through all those injuries a Rose defender it was something very frustrating to deal with in terms of the fact that Derek was never very good you know um, sharing his thoughts expressing himself um, he, he was never very eloquent when it came to talking to the media and it was very clear that that was part of the job that he never liked and the like the the example of I want to be able to have decent enough knees to you know walk around in my son's graduation like that you know that one little sentence got blown up and dissected in so many different ways and a lot of people raked him over the coals for that one um but I think like the other interesting thing, and maybe that's part of it, and maybe part of what Derek was talking about with maybe having one eye on the future and one eye on the present, knowing where he came from and what he achieved. And it's something that some of the people in the media who were featured in this documentary kind of talked about. Um, Danny Parkins, our pal from 670 The Score, I thought... Um, uh, uh, you know, flesh this out in a way that that made a lot of sense and, and was well said, essentially talking about how a lot of fans crushed Derek because they thought that he didn't care enough about winning, right? And that it was about money. And I got this max contract. I got this shoe deal. Basketball's just basketball. You know, I've got a family and a future to think about. And the fact that for some people who come from places where Derek came from, making it, to the league that in itself is winning people in Chicago saying Derek doesn't care enough about winning he's a greedy guy who just wants his money and doesn't care about getting the Chicago you know team a championship well you know that's 
that's the and the uh, the other dichotomy of Derek is humble versus Derek is very confident, which the documentary also touches on with the whole "Why not me?" speech before his MVP season. I think Derek wanted more than anything to win a title for his hometown team. I truly believe that, but at the same time, even signing that max deal and simultaneously signing that shoe deal and making sure the generations of his family will never have to worry about money and saying, you know, on that day when he signed that deal, mom, we finally made it to Derek. That was it. You know, from the streets of Inglewood, from a, you know, a, a drug and crime ridden, you know, upbringing, he made it to the league and he got that deal. And to him, like that was winning a championship of life. He made it. So maybe in the grand scheme of things, competing and especially competing if he's not completely confident with the health of his body was was not something that he was, you know, putting at the forefront of his mind. He had already won the championship of his life by getting out and creating something better for himself, but more importantly, his family. And I think that that's maybe an element to Derrick Rose that fans were quick to ignore or not care about because Bulls fans are that hungry. I completely agree with you. I think that is huge. You think about, you know, the way that they talked about it, too, is like, regardless of the injuries, regardless of championships or trophies or anything like that, getting to the league was the most important thing. And that was a sign to him, his family and everywhere he grew up was that's that's the marker of making it is he had made it already. And whatever else came on top of it was just gravy. And I think that was summed it up perfectly. And I think it made me kind of reflect on that time and the way people thought about Derek. And I think Derek was completely misunderstood at that point of his career. He didn't know how to convey himself to the media. And what, like you said, wasn't very good at talking. And not everybody is is good at talking in front of the media. And he didn't want to do that, too. He even said it. You kind of get an understanding from this documentary about what was going on behind the scenes and and some of the struggles he was having, not only talking and, and thinking about the first injury or the second one, but also the all the mess that was coming around, uh, not wanting to come back or not feeling 100% and all of that, you kind of get a peek behind the curtain of what he was going through at that time as opposed to just us as fans or, or media members just hearing what the outside noise was. And so I think that that's super important. And even going back to, I think John Greenberg brought it up in his review of this documentary, is that if you ask Derek who he looked up to when he was growing up, he looked up to Gennaro Pargo because Gennaro Pargo was a guy that came out of Inglewood and made it to the NBA. So I've, I've thought that that was, was another piece of information that I think a lot of people should understand and see like he looked up to a guy that got out of the neighborhood and and was able to make it to the NBA and make something of his himself and help his family and that's exactly what Derek wanted to do and so having that better understanding of that makes me feel for him at least at that point in his career uh, so I thought that was very good it was it was very laid out and very much put together in a way that may, makes me reflect and I hope a lot of Bulls fans who felt negative towards him at that time at least can reflect and say maybe that maybe things were different maybe I didn't think about this in the right way uh, Matt before we get to the rest of the documentary the one thing that I really wish that they would have went more in in depth in was the highlights of that that 2010 2011 year uh, the year that Derek and even when Derek had won the MVP like going into that in the very moments that he had I felt like 
should have been talked about more. Like I felt like that was incredible. That that moment that year was absolutely incredible, and that team was incredible. And uh, for me, selfishly as a Bulls fan, I wish they would have talked a little bit more about that because I I really feel like people here in this city that was a year where everybody came together and everybody was so a damn excited about this Bulls team and so damn excited about Derek and where he was going with his career. Um, and, maybe, and maybe it was because of timing, but I really felt like they should have spent a little bit more time on how exciting that season was and how amazing that season was for Bulls fans. Um, I I disagree with you there. I don't... Really? Yeah, I, I can go back and watch the Derek Rose highlights from that MVP season on YouTube. I can watch the great... MVP caliber Derrick Rose film in plenty of different avenues on on multiple platforms anytime I want to. That is the age we live in now. I didn't need that to be in the documentary. You say you wish... Think about it from a perspective of, of other fans, though. People that aren't Bulls fans that don't remember this. That, I think, would have helped build the story up a little bit more and really getting fan people that aren't fans of this team an understanding of what the level of expectation was. You know, I think that's where I come from. It's like the level of expectation was so high because everybody was so positive, so excited after that season. Um, for us Bulls fans, I think that makes sense. Like we all understand new, but uh, for people that that aren't fans of this Bulls Bulls team or aren't don't live in the city of Chicago or the surrounding suburbs following this team, I think that would have gave people an extra layer of understanding of how high the expectations were here in Chicago. And maybe you're right. Maybe it didn't, didn't need to be included, but I felt like it should. I mean, maybe to some extent, people not from Chicago who are who were curious to get more of the story of Derrick Rose, the rise and fall, could have benefited from that, I suppose. But if you are an NBA fan in general, and you are old enough to at least even just remember a season that happened just eight years ago, you remember... Derrick Rose, the MVP. You remember Derrick Rose, the young explosive point guard who was scoring and doing things on a court that we had never seen before. That was, yeah, I guess maybe, you know, they, they didn't include a, you know, a, a highlight package or, or really talk about the level of expectations, as you said, on his shoulders and the way that he insanely met those expectations other than just falling short of getting the team a championship. But to me... Like, it, it, it wasn't that long ago. Bulls fans remember, and not just Bulls fans, but NBA fans remember the MVP Derrick Rose season because it was not that long ago. And to me, that's not, you know, that wasn't the point of this documentary. It was an element of the documentary to talk about the rise of Derrick Rose and the just as just as quick and, and, and just as dramatic fall of Derrick Rose. But I feel like that wasn't necessarily lacking. There was plenty of talk about, wow, look at this kid. Look at what he's doing from media, from people within his, you know, within his circle. To me, I, like, it, it would have just added length to the documentary that didn't need to be there. To me, and this is where shit gets real, and I'm sorry, but we have to talk about it. The part of the documentary that was lacking was the part where they glossed over Derek's off-the-court issues. And especially knowing that the way that they pitched this documentary, to me, it felt 
pretty incomplete and pretty hollow. This is something that his agent, B.J. Armstrong, said when he was doing his media tour in the days leading up to this documentary airing. Quote, we agreed that if we were going to tell this story, it has to be an authentic story. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. Not have the cameras on at strategic times. To have the camera on all the time. And he had to be comfortable seeing the true story. This isn't like a puff piece where we're going to tell just the good things that happened. And in the end, he comes and rides off into the sunset. This is really what happened. End quote, BJ Armstrong. I'm sorry, but that to me rings false and so, so hollow. When you saw maybe 90 seconds total on this, you know, 80-minute documentary given to the fact that Derrick Rose was accused of rape, went through a civil trial that went to a grand jury, and yes, I can hear the, the Rose stands yelling at me from here, was eventually absolved of any criminal, you know, it wasn't even a criminal case, it was a civil case, so... You know, that's an issue I have with Derek, Derek Rosedale say he was found innocent. No, that's not how civil suits work. But the fact that they just glossed over that entirely while also trying to say we're going to tell the whole story, the good, the bad, the ugly. No, you didn't. And this, you know, this was produced by Stadium. And it was produced and, and directed and made by Derek Rose and his people. So it's not entirely surprising that they decided to gloss over that part of Derek's life. But to me you're leaving out a huge chapter that a lot of people aren't uncomfortable talking about and a lot of Rose stands and Rose haters disagree on vehemently. So I wasn't surprised that they left it out because they made this film. This wasn't a 30 for 30. This this wasn't, uh, you know, uh, an outside media company coming in and doing everything and prying questions and, and, and actually telling the whole story. But it, to me, if, if there was something omitted from this documentary, it was not we needed more of the rise and the good times of Derrick Rose. It was not y'all left out a pretty ugly bruise on who Derrick Rose is. Yeah, I don't think that that's the comparison I was trying to make. I think it was more so that uh, they could have spent another five or ten minutes on it. I mean, realistically, thinking about it from an outsider's perspective, which I think a lot of people should. Like, there's a lot of people that are going to watch this documentary that aren't Bulls fans or didn't grow up around Chicago and. I get it. It would only happen eight years ago, but think of all the things that have happened three or four years ago that we forget about, the moments that we forget about, things that happen that lead up to stories that we forget about or that we don't think of or that we missed. There's a lot that happens. That's my point is is they should have spent just a little bit more time and it's it didn't add or subtract anything from the documentary. Like it, it was perfectly fine without it, but as somebody who maybe, it, again, maybe it's selfish on my part uh, of being a Bulls fan and how excited I was during that time is to really just kind of explain it to other fans. You know, fans that weren't paying attention to this Bulls team nonstop and understand it, everything, that, the little intricate parts that were going into this season. So I get it. I get it why why they, they spent a ton of time on Derek's rise and that season was part of it, but it wasn't all of it. Uh, but to me, I felt like that really encapsulated everything that uh, took this team to the next level, I, I should say. Um, but you're right about the trial. I, f- I found it very shocking, but I wasn't really that surprised considering Derek made this documentary. BJ Armstrong was a part of this. Uh, Stadium was included as well. And if this was just a, a solo documentary by itself, produced by, uh, not produced by a company or a network, maybe we would have saw them go into depth more. But maybe we did. Maybe we wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I think that was the the one thing that 
was really missing from this documentary was a little bit more of an expansive understanding for people that didn't follow that trial either is if we're getting a full complete picture and a full complete look at what Derek's career was as an NBA player and also as a person I feel like only spending like two minutes two and a half minutes on that trial specifically kind of left a hole at the end of the, the the documentary for me at least and here's the other thing and you know I, I know okay the, the Rose defenders out there uh, this was the the you know the victim shaming and the victim blaming in the Rose trial was uh, overwhelming to me. That said, there is certainly an element of plausibility that this was a person looking for a payout, and based on some of the details that we did get from the you know beginning, middle, and end of that civil suit about who this woman was, her relationship with Derek the events that unfolded that night and the events leading up to what happened that night, it certainly is at least fair to question her motives and her credibility. But to me, the I mean, like, even still, the victim shaming in the Rose case from Rose Defenders was, was overwhelming and a little unsettling to me. But even still, if you say they went through all of the steps of that trial and at the end, Derek and his legal team... I guess if you want to put it this way, won. They won the trial. Derek won. The woman lost. There are still elements to what happened and still elements of what Derek Rose said in his testimony that can be seen, especially in these very unpleasant times of the hashtag MeToo movement that we are in. Which, you know, the, the whole Me Too stuff just kind of came around a year or two after this Rose trial. But even still, some of the things that Derrick Rose said still make me very uncomfortable. And even if those Rose stands out there, those Rose defenders are saying, but, you know, he was found innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just trying to get worked by some woman who wanted some some fame and some money. And Derek got framed and all this stuff. You can still... Go back and, and read some of the things that Derek said in that. And again, maybe part of this is the Derek isn't good emoting his thoughts and speaking and expressing himself. But some of the things that he said, and I'll just give you a couple examples when talking about the, you know, the, the you know, uh, orgy or gang rape culture, whatever, whatever, with, you know, he and two of his friends are having sexual intercourse with one woman saying, well, we men, quote, we men, that, that really bothered me. And... The fact that, and this is the bigger one to me, that he couldn't readily define what consent meant. And maybe through other evidence, we learned or at least could make an educated hypothesis that there was consent that night. But to me, that that doesn't absolve Derek of some guilt to not really be able to truthfully understand that when he and two male friends are having group sex with one woman who by some accounts could have very well been heavily intoxicated on the night of this occurrence. That is really icky to me. And, and as far as all of that that I just said, in this documentary for not a single female, and not just the, the, the accuser herself, because guess what? It probably was unlikely for them to be able to get her to participate in this documentary. There's no, no you know, uh, world of reality where that would happen. But guess what? You know whose perspective I would have liked to hear on that instance? 
and that entire chapter of Derek's life? I don't know. Maybe some female members of sports media here in Chicago. Maybe a woman of any kind. Maybe Derek Rose's mother who was featured in this documentary, Brenda Rose. How is it that we got some text across the screen, a, a brief comment from BJ, a brief comment from men and their quick side of that, and no female voices were heard in that very brief part of the documentary. To me, that was really upsetting. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think there should have been you know, women involved even throughout this documentary. You know, not just this part of the documentary. I think throughout the entire finding people who covered Derrick Rose and also giving different perspectives. I think that that's lacking too. There, um, like you said too, a lot of those things that Derrick had said during the trial bother me, and they still bother me to this day. And everybody's allowed to have their opinion, and they can have their thoughts, and you can be on one side or the other. I, I'm not here to argue any of that. I'm just telling you how I feel, and how I feel was, yeah, I was disturbed by some of the things that he said. Uh, you're right, he was found not liable. That's not guilty or not guilty. He was found not liable in the civil trial, so he didn't have to pay any of the money that, that Jane Doe was seeking. So, again, I'll circle back to this. I'm not surprised that they didn't include more of a story on this. To be surprised about that would be, I think, a little bit naive. Thinking about who created this, who was behind this, who produced this, all of those things. Like, it makes sense. Like, why he wouldn't include a, a whole ton or a whole 20 minutes devoted to this style. I get that. I, I, I totally right. get that. But to say that they pitched this as a, you know, no pun intended, thorns and all story for Derek... Like to, to me, like that's just it's a bald faced lie. This is not the whole story. They clearly purposefully omitted a very ugly chapter of the story. They included it, so I wouldn't say they omitted it, but they didn't. They didn't go into detail the way that I think would have been more fair for people who didn't follow this trial either, or people that are watching this and not really understanding. But everybody can go out in there and do their own research. So again, to me. I'm not all that surprised about it. So, yes, I'm very disappointed that they didn't go more into depth. And like you had said, the way that it had been kind of pitched uh, would have made sense to to give you the full and entire picture of Derrick Rose's come up from when he was young to now present day. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the most disappointing I was with the documentary is uh, regardless of where they went with it. I, I wish they would have just went a little bit more in detail to that because that was it. That's an element to his career that has has shaped what it shaped six eight eight months a year of his career and what people thought about him um, and what people think about him still to this day so that has a huge impact I think on uh, the perception of Derek Rose and yeah I was disappointed that that wasn't included and also like you said uh, there was no female sports reporters that or people in sports media that were interviewed for this documentary too so I was a little disappointed in that overall though watching this documentary twice it brought up a lot of memories. It brought up a lot of things to think about. It brought up certainly a lot of emotions. Uh, and, and just hearing from, I think, going back and hearing from the media that covered during this time and, and also hearing from players and from hearing from coaches. Um, the perspective that I had on Derek going into this documentary is a little bit different now that, that I have of him coming out of this documentary and just thinking about 
the past and thinking about his upbringing and what he had to do to get to this point, um, I think shaped a lot of different things. But like you said, again, the most disappointing thing for me was they didn't they didn't go into detail a little bit more, which they should have about this trial. So I think that's the one thing that's really missing from this documentary that I wish they would have it would have went a little bit farther into. Yeah, and and they certainly paint him in a sympathetic light throughout a lot of it, uh, especially highlighted by as you you know we mentioned earlier the the probably the, the most dramatic element of this documentary was getting his reaction, his immediate reaction to the news about the New York Knicks trade on camera. Uh, and that phone call with BJ Armstrong and Derek saying, you know, this, this is what made me who I am and saying that he was okay to the, to the camera crew before they started rolling again, when clearly he was not okay. And then broke down just a few seconds later. So to me, yes, it, in some ways where, even as a Rose defender through the injury stuff, I I was certainly empathetic towards what he went through and some of the backlash from the fan base. To see that level of emotion from Derek, who for as much of who like who his family knew and who those who were closest to him knew as a very emotional guy, he definitely did not wear that emotion on his sleeve for the most part when we saw him on the court and we saw him talking to the media. So that definitely was another element and another level to who Derek was that that gave fans like myself and perhaps some others out there even more, uh, you know, even more feelings of, of empathy towards that guy. But to me, like, it was very purposefully done that... Of course, this documentary made by Derek and his people painted him in that light and quickly glossed over the other side where maybe Derek doesn't look like nothing but a person deserving of sympathy. The The last thing I will say about the documentary as a whole is that it was a good look at the way that I think in reality where we are today, too. I liked kind of the way that they wrapped things up uh, with the 50... The 50-plus points performance he had with Minnesota, just kind of talking about where he is now in his career and uh, being more mature than he was before. And I think that's the real thing, too, that I caught on is you saw different sides to Derek uh, throughout his career in the NBA. You saw a, a guy who was very excited, very humble, um, and very powerful, too, to the city and his come up and then the injuries too, then you just saw, you kind of saw Derek go into a weird and dark place and you, you see how much it affected him when fans started to turn on him. And when people started to talk about how he didn't, he didn't care about winning and that money was the only thing that he cared about. Uh, and then you, I felt like to me, and maybe, maybe this is part of what you're saying is, is that the documentary was tailored in a certain way, but I think that I got a clear perspective on, on what Derek was thinking at those times because we never heard from him. We we never heard from him. And I think that would have solved a lot of issues and I think if they could re- go back and redo what they did, Reggie Rose wouldn't talk at all. Gar Foreman would certainly not talk at all. And I think they would address it with Derek and Derek would come out once and just say, hey, I'm not coming back. Derek controlling the narrative himself, I think would have cleared up a lot of those issues that ended up turning into the turmoil that the Bulls had. And I think you get that kind of same perspective from from players that were interviewed, even Joe Kim Noah, in a sense, uh, think about the things that he said. And look, I think Derek understands that now as he's looking back and reflecting on his career. And it kind of makes sense as he wants to control the narrative around what was happening and how he was feeling. And uh, 
the impact too I thought was crazy was the impact that the, he that the media was having on him. It's like he was so fed up and so tired with people talking bad about him that he was going to go out there and prove it, no matter what, what whether or not he was healthy a hundred percent. Like go back to the when he got he got hit from Taj Gibson in the face and and Reggie was telling him don't come back until you're a hundred percent healthy. And Derek's like, man, I'm tired of hearing the newspapers. I don't want to hear them anymore. I don't want to hear radio personalities anymore. I'm going out there and playing and this is what I'm going to do because everybody thinks that I'm just sitting out for the money. So I got a, I got a better perspective on where he was sitting at and what he was dealing with uh, during all of those injuries in that kind of dark time uh, and turmoil of the Bulls. So it was good for me to get that perspective and that side of things. And I, I hope that maybe the bio, uh, the autobiography that him and Sam Smith are writing, it's going to come out in September, has a little bit more in-depth about both of these things that I think we're missing. Uh, the voice and during that turmoil era, and also I hope it goes more into depth about the trial. I really do. So maybe that happens, and that's an opportunity in the autobiography that comes out in September that we'll see a little bit more light shed on that. We'll see. I, I'm I'm with you. I I would like it if if we get that, but you know, let's remind ourselves that Sam Smith right now is an employee of the Bulls organization. Sure. And if they want to gloss that over again, they'll gloss that over again. Um, with with all that said about the documentary, Jordan, do you want to now talk about because? I know this has been a very contentious point of debate on Bulls Twitter, and a lot of people know where I stand, but they don't essentially know the specific details why. Do you want to, before we get out of here, talk about your opinion and my opinion on what we feel about Derrick Rose and a potential homecoming? Because this doc has gotten everybody talking about it. That's the end of part one here. Part two, we'll dive into a better half of an hour into how Matt and I both feel as part of a realistic signing this summer about Derrick Rose and whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea for Derrick to come back and what the impact will be if the Bulls, in fact, do sign him this summer. So hit us up, 331-979-1369. If you watched the Pooh documentary, we want to get your thoughts. Drop us voicemails or text messages. We'd love to get your insight and your feelings after watching the documentary and maybe even drop us too. How did you feel coming into the documentary and how did you feel when you came out of it? What were some of your initial thoughts and what were your thoughts after watching it? Like I said, I watched it twice, and there was both times I caught things that I didn't catch the first time I watched it. So, again, definitely recommend it to people. I think it's something that people should watch if you are a diehard Bulls fan or if you're a diehard NBA fan in general. Uh, I think it's worth your time to give it a chance and give it a watch. So hit us up, 331-979-1369, text messages and voicemails. Head over to part two where Matt and I spend a majority of an hour talking about whether or not uh, Derrick Rose signing back here with Chicago would be a good or a bad idea and how that kind of plays out. We're live on Dash Radio, DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Nut channel. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peckham, Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation, enjoy part two. Give us all of your reaction at 331-979-1369. we back on Tuesday with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Play. Good defense. Lead pass. Dragons! Somebody grab Dragons' leg! <laughs> <laughs>
Chicago. You know who this kid is. He is from Chicago. He has a 40-inch vertical. And you are, where is my poster machine? This is what I need, my poster machine. Where is it at? Locked On Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked On Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 